heard the call to build your small business? Make it happen with a .NET domain name, the place for dreamers for 30 years and counting. Visit keepdreamingup.net for tips and advice. Whether you're just getting started or looking to grow, that's keepdreamingup.net. You are Locked On Clippers, your daily Los Angeles Clippers podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hey everyone, welcome to a new episode of the Lockdown Clippers podcast. I'm your host, Lucas Tan. Today is Tuesday, March 14th, 2017. Um, first of all, just kind of get this episode started with a couple programming notes. Um, I know I've gotten some messages in the last few days about the intro music not really playing for the podcast. Um, I don't really know why it's doing that on my editing software. It looks like it should be fine, but obviously when it's uploaded... The intro music hasn't been there, so I went back through and like basically just redid everything to create a new file for the intro music instead of the one I'd been using, and hopefully it works. I think it should. I think this should be fine. Um, also, I know this episode, this Tuesday episode, is coming to you a little late in the day. I'm sorry about that. Um, my schedule for the week got kind of got thrown off because we have a we. Well, I guess we were supposed to have a huge blizzard here in New York today. Um, and then it ended up not being so bad, only a few inches of snow. But um, yeah, so I, it, it just kind of threw off my, my normal schedule. But hopefully this gets to you um, not too late in the day. Should be up um, in the sometime in the afternoon on the West Coast. So maybe if you normally listen on your ride into work, you can just listen on your ride home instead. Um, and the nice thing is there's no game tonight. So, you know, you could listen tonight. It's not like there's anything to do until the Clippers play tomorrow night um so obviously the big the you know the elephant in the room is going to be the Clippers lost to the Utah Jazz last night um the Clippers went into Utah they played a pretty solid first half not great but again solid um mainly led by Chris Paul who had 16 points in the first quarter and the Clippers carried a seven point lead in the halftime which is pretty good um playing in Utah you know you're not going to blow out you're not going to hold the Jazz to 72 and 75 points like the Clippers did in the first two games every game so you leave you go you know you're on the road you're up by seven and a half time solid um and then the Jazz kind of caught fire in a way that's pretty uncharacteristic for them um so Utah normally shoots like 36 and a half percent from deep in this game they shot 66.7 percent from deep um and they went on a stretch where they made like nine in a row or ten in a row, and I think they ended up making eleven of twelve second half three pointers, which is like ridiculous. It's ridiculous. Um, and it's how they got that forty point third quarter, which helped, which kind of got cut rip, cut out the Clippers' lead and put Utah in the driver's seat. And then it's how they held off the Clippers in big moments in the fourth quarter as the Clippers tried to make that push. Um, the Clippers ended up losing by six. So, even then, it was a c- competitive game down to the last couple minutes. But um, definitely, I think the the main factor 
has to be be the hot shooting. And I had someone on Twitter try to say to me, well, the Clippers shot 40% from deep. Both teams shot above their averages. Yeah, but here's the thing. The Clippers shoot 37.5% from deep on the season. They shot 40% last night. Okay, they're a little above average. Utah shoots 36.6% from deep on the season. They shot 66.7% last night. So they were a full 30% above their average, whereas the Clippers were a couple percentage points above their average. So it goes both ways, but it goes a lot more in one way than the other. Um, there are some things, though, from the, you know, it's not just, oh, the Jazz got hot and we lost. There are things that the Clippers control, too, and I think it would be a cop-out to focus too much on that um, on Utah's hot shooting, although I think it was definitely the like a major factor. But one other thing to consider would be kind of Blake Griffin no-showing in this game. Um, eight points, nine rebounds, five assists, three of eight from the field. He was flustered offensively, um, even though he had good matchups all night. But, um, you know, maybe a lot of it was just the help presence of Rudy Gobert making him uncomfortable. I'm not sure, but there's no way that kind of a... Um, an ensemble defensive effort from like Boris Diaw, Joe Johnson, um, Joe Inglis. Like these guys shouldn't be stopping Blake Griffin. Um, and we've seen Blake go insane in the last month when he gets advantageous matchups. So that that was a little weird last night. But maybe I, I think a lot of it probably did have to do with Rudy Gobert's presence um, as a help side guy. And so maybe that's something hopefully Blake Griffin can get a little more comfortable with and playing around going into what seems to be um, a all-but-guaranteed playoff matchup between these two teams in the first round. Now, the other thing that the Clippers can do a better job on um, and need to do a better job on is rebounding. They lost the rebounding battle 42-28, to 28, which is bad. <laughs> it's just bad. Um, and you can chalk up to an extent, okay, Utah didn't miss very many shots, so there weren't a lot of rebounds to be gotten by the Clippers. But the Clippers didn't miss very many shots too. Um, you know the the Jazz only made both teams attempted 78 field goals. The Jazz only made two more than the Clippers, so that doesn't make up that big 14 rebound disparity. Um, and then the you know eight offensive rebounds isn't horrible, but you'd like to limit them on the offensive glass especially because Utah isn't a great offensive team. So Utah really is going to... Utah makes their living and is going to try to win playoff games by being defensive stalwarts and then scoring you know as much as they can, but they're focused on defense. So for the Clippers to put up 108 points should be enough to win. Um, the Jazz only on average allow like 96.5 points a game. To their opponents and they score 101 points a game so if you score 108 against utah's defense you should win obviously the three-point shooting is part of what lifted utah's offense up to the 114 point threshold but the offensive rebounds give them extra possessions and the clippers only forced seven turnovers which isn't limiting utah's possessions um i think that you know all those things kind of play in you want the ball more. If, if your offense is going to be more efficient than theirs, you want the ball more, and you want to limit how much their offense gets the ball. Controlling the glass, controlling the turnover battle. Now, on turnovers, 
the Clippers didn't force a lot, but on the other side of the ball, they did a pretty good job. They only had six as a team, um, and three of them actually came from DeAndre Jordan. So, you know, the guards did a great job um, holding on to the basketball, but yeah, you'd really like to force more than seven, um, and you'd you definitely want to do a better job than going minus 14 on the glass, and you definitely need more out of Blake Griffin. So those are some areas that I think the Clippers can improve on, should improve on, need to improve on. Um, what's remarkable, and, and we noted this on, on Twitter last night, on Clip Station Twitter, is that the Clipper, you know, it's not like the Clippers had a horrible game, but the Clippers had like an average game. They didn't play especially well. And it took one of Utah's, uh, this might be their best shooting night of the year to beat the Clippers. Now they're also um, missing Derek Favors, who's a, a big contributor for them. And it's, you know, it's not like it was the perfect night for Utah, but it was a pretty damn good night for Utah in Utah, playing at home, to only beat the Clippers by six on a night when the Clippers were kind of average. When Blake was bad, but Chris was good, um, they shot, you know, they didn't shoot poorly, they shot okay, but Utah kind of put up this Herculean shooting effort to narrowly win. Um, so in the big picture, this kind of still makes me feel confident about a first-round matchup with the Utah Jazz. I think the Clippers... Um, you know, I said this, um, my, my dad last night was like, don't we have to play them in the playoffs? What if they beat us again? I told him, well, they aren't going to shoot like this again. And if they do, they'll beat us. And if they shoot like this again and they beat us, then we'll beat them in five instead of four. Now, that's a little um, that's a little on the extreme confidence end. I'm not sure that the Clippers are going to sweep the Jazz, but I do think the Clippers are just a better basketball team. The Clippers also aren't playing at their best right now. We've talked about how they've been kind of going slowly in the last few weeks um you know the good news is like I, I talked um the other day about peaking early versus peaking at the right time there's a month left in the season the season ends on April 12th that's the last night of the season and then there's going to be presumably a couple days off and then the playoffs kick off so the Clippers have about a month so it's not about being perfect last night and it's not about being perfect um tomorrow when they play against the Milwaukee Bucks. Oh yeah, they play Milwaukee again tomorrow. It's not about being perfect in these games, although obviously you want to win as many of them as possible, but it's about building something, being comfortable, getting your rotation set so that you feel really good in three weeks when you start resting guys for the last couple of games and getting ready for the playoffs. Um, now, looking at seeding, I think the most important thing for the Clippers to watch for seeding right now is going to be the San Antonio-Golden State race. San Antonio and Golden State right now are tied 52-14. and 14. San Antonio has the tiebreaker. There is one to one head-to-head -head game remaining between the two. Now, San Antonio is going to have the tiebreaker even if they lose that game. But if they lose that game, the tiebreaker might not matter as much. Um, that's, a, that's a big game for the Spurs to kind of essentially go two games up on the Warriors because they put give the Warriors an extra loss and have the tiebreaker. The, the Warriors have to finish ahead of the Spurs. Um, so, like, tonight, um, the Warriors play the 76ers in Oakland. Presumably that's a win for the Warriors. Um, and then, you know, tomorrow the Spurs host the Portland Trailblazers. That's a game that San Antonio should win, although it's a little tougher than, than Golden State's matchup. It's going to come down to losses who gets upset more and who gets 
that head-to-head -head game. But that's the biggest thing for the Clippers because um, I'm going to try to find a tweet right now that um, my good friends at Clipcast sent out last night. Um, Clipcast is the weekly Clippers podcast um, now hosted on Clippers.com with Mike Jaglin and Chris Wilde. Those are two really cool guys um, who have actually been like really cool to me, um, and I'm good friends with them from meeting them at Clippers games um, and just chatting, and I've been on the show a few times. So, But anyway, so they, they said these are the current standings in the West. One, San Antonio. Two, Golden State. Three, Houston. Four, Utah. Five, Clippers. The Clippers record versus Houston and Golden State, the two and three seeds, is a combined 0 and 6. The Clippers record versus the Spurs and the Jazz, the 1 and 4, is 4 and 2. So the Clippers have the upper hand against Utah in the first round matchup, you would assume. And then they've so far have won the season series against the San Antonio Spurs 2-1. At the very least, that's a winnable series, if not one that the Clippers should be favored in. Um, and I don't think they would be favored, but I think it's definitely a winnable series. I think that, that series might be like almost like 50-50 coin flip when it comes to the odds makers. So the two teams the Clippers struggle against, the Warriors and Rockets, they get to put off as far as possible to the Western Conference Finals. And they get the matchup they want in the first round, Utah, and the matchup they want in the second round, San Antonio. Um, you know, we thought at the beginning of the season the Clippers were going to have to get the two or the three seed, play whoever they ended up drawing in the first round so that they could get San Antonio in the second round and avoid Golden State Warriors. And now it looks like they might be able to finish fourth and still avoid the Golden State Warriors. But um, that's the big thing to watch, honestly. The most important thing for the Clippers is going. It's going to be games that they have nothing to do with. They do play the Spurs one more time, so the Clippers should lose that game. Um, try to, you know, you definitely don't want to win and give the Spurs a loss and have that be the reason why you end up playing the Warriors um, in the second round instead of the Spurs. So, but that game's not till the very end, so we we might already know what's happening by then, or it might end up being very important. But if it matters, the Clippers should absolutely lose that late April game against the Spurs to help San Antonio secure the one seed. The secondary thing to look at for the Clippers um, is the obvious 4-5 race with the Utah Jazz. Right now, Utah is two losses ahead of the Clippers. Um, they've played the same amount of games. They Both both teams have 15 games left. Utah's 42-25. The Clippers are 40-27. There's one head-to-head -head matchup remaining. If the Clippers win that, they'll have the tiebreaker and be one loss behind. So they have to... In the 15 games that are left, one game is the head-to-head -head between L.A. and Utah. The Clippers need to win that game, and in the other 14 games, they need to outplay Utah by one game to catch the Jazz. That's doable, um, even if it's not necessarily likely, but it's far more doable than you know, my crazy catch Houston for the three-seed scenarios a couple weeks ago. Even if they don't, I think the Clippers are going to win this first-round series against Utah. Um, but... It would certainly be nice to have home court advantage because Utah has like a really strong home court. Um, they've got a fan base that's used to success, used to playoff appearances that has been a little starved recently. And if you go into games one and two in Utah, it's going to be rabid. Those are going to be bloodbaths. But if you can start off this playoffs in LA and win two home games, and you go into Utah and the Jazz are down 2-0, maybe that atmosphere will be a little more subdued and help you win at least one of those two games. You come back to L.A., you win game five, and you're done. Um, 
you know that would that would be ideal but if you go into utah i think it would be a really tough split because of what the atmosphere is going to be like in salt lake city so that's like a tough split before you come back to la so you might be coming back to la down 2-0 needing two home games and you definitely don't want that um again i think the clippers will beat the jazz in that first round series either way i think the far more important thing is to line the is for san antonio to secure the one seed so that you're lined up to play the spurs in the second round instead of the warriors but that's not it's not important i think the clippers will have a much easier job against utah if they can get home court and to that extent you know it seems like the clippers downfall in the second round has always been due to fatigue or injuries if you play less games you're going to be less fatigued and you're going to have less opportunities to get injured if you get home court it's probably going to take less games to beat the jazz so that's why that's important um i'm going to close out this episode now with one note um regarding a free agency rumor the clippers have been linked by mark stein of espn to omri caspi um caspi was a Sacramento King. Um, he fell kind of out of the rotation this year and was part of the Marcus Cousins trade. He went to New Orleans. In his first game in New Orleans, he broke his thumb. The Pelicans cut him. And now he's ahead of schedule. He's apparently been cleared to play, and he's looking at playoff teams to sign with. Um, the Clippers were actually interested in Caspi at the deadline, but the deal didn't end up happening. Um, and now he's supposedly looking between the Grizzlies and the Clippers, deciding who he's going to join for a playoff run. Um, now, I really like Omri Caspi, although I kind of question his fit on this team. I really like Caspi. He's a guy who I've wanted on the Clippers for a few seasons now. But um, he's got kind of like a weird, shifty offensive game. He's a good shooter. He can play the three and the four, even though he's not a great defender. Um, but... On the season, he's shooting 39% from three, although that's a fairly small sample size. Last year, as a big-time rotation piece in Sacramento, he shot 41% from three. The year before, again, as a big-time rotation piece, 40% from three. So he's definitely capable of producing offensively. Um, last year, over the course of the full season, he averaged 12 points and six rebounds a game for the Kings in 27 minutes a night. So he's a player. He's a guy. You know, he's a guy you'd love to have. I'm just kind of concerned about his fit in the sense that he's not going to get to play small forward minutes here because Raymond Felton, Austin Rivers, and Jamal Crawford control the backup one, two, three minutes for the Clippers. And Omri Caspi doesn't bring you what you need offensively to supplant Luke and Bamute in the starting lineup and guard the premier offensive wings in the NBA playoffs. So his obvious role is going to be as the backup power forward replacing Wesley Johnson slash Brandon Bass slash Allen Anderson slash whoever has been playing those, you know, random 10th man minutes. It's, it's kind of switched around between those guys. Sometimes Doc only uses nine guys, but Caspi becomes the backup power forward, which is cool because he can shoot. Here's the problem. He doesn't bring you defensively what Wesley Johnson does on that unit where Wesley is kind of the defensive glue guy. Um... And he doesn't bring you offensively what Brandon Bass brings you as a role man that kind of sucks the defense in and lets a guy like Mo Spates, who's a stretch five, get open shots. So 
that's kind of been the trade-off with was with Wesley Johnson and Brandon Bass is that Bass helps you on offense because he sucks in the defense for all of the shooters and slashers in that unit, but he doesn't give you what you need as a team defender. And Wesley Johnson really doesn't help you on offense because he's not hitting shots and he doesn't roll to the rim, but he's the glue guy for that unit defensively. Omri Caspi doesn't bring you what Wesley Johnson does on defense, and he doesn't bring you what Brandon Bass does on offense. He brings you something different on offense in that he's a 40% three-point shooter, which is a great thing to have on your roster going to the playoffs. But I have questions about a Felton, Crawford, Rivers, Caspi, Spates unit. Now, the obvious answer, and it seems like it's been the obvious answer for like the last three years, is for the Clippers to just finally stagger. Because Caspi is a great guy to play as a stretch four next to DeAndre Jordan. And I think the Blake Griffin-Mo-Spates combination makes a ton of sense because Spates can space the floor for Blake and it lets him have more room to drive to the basket. He can run a 4-5 pick and pop. He can post up without having to worry about DJ cramping his spacing. Um, but that's something that, that we have yet to see with consistency from Doc Rivers. I think if he staggers, you keep either Blake or DJ on the floor at all times. Sometimes they'll play together, obviously, but when DJ sits, Blake should be playing with Mo spacing the floor for him, and when Blake sits, DJ should be playing and diving to the rim with Caspi spacing the floor for him. Um, I think that could work, but if Doc is intent on using these five-man line swaps, that Felton Rivers, Crawford, Caspi, Spates unit really, really worries me. Um, but we'll see how it goes. I mean, I would be excited for the Clippers to add Caspi because he's a good shooter and that helps you in the playoffs. Um, and he's capable of going off like most good shooters are. It's just the, the one concern would be kind of the cohesion of that second unit if Doc decides to keep it intact with the four guys we've seen and Caspi sliding into the backup four. I think he has to stagger if he adds Caspi. Um, we'll have more on that in the next few days as it comes. Presumably the Clippers would cut Allen Anderson. They do have to cut someone for that roster spot, but um, I know that would be exciting. I know a lot of part of the part of the issue with um, you know gauging fan reaction around the trade deadline is that a lot of people are just bored after 50 games of the same team, and they want a trade so that there's a new guy to analyze. So this would give you a, you know give us a new guy to analyze. And Caspi is a guy who I honestly have really liked as a player for a long time. I wanted the Clippers to sign him the last time he was a free agent. Um, so I hope they do get him, but. I'm interested to see how Doc uses him because I think I don't think he's a guy that just having him on the team automatically makes you a better team. To an extent, yes, because just adding a shooter is good, but he could end up hurting this team if Doc uses him poorly. If Doc uses him wisely, he could end, then you're starting to use that shooting as an asset, but if he slides straight into the backup four and Doc plays that five-man bench unit, we might look back at this season and think that the Clippers may very well have been better off with Wesley Johnson or Brandon Bass playing those minutes. Um, if he's, if Doc Rivers is willing to stagger, that's going to be, I, th I think that could be very rewarding having Caspi as a shooter on this team. Um, with that said, we're going to call it an episode for today. Tomorrow we'll be back talking about the Clippers matchup tomorrow night against the Milwaukee Bucks. Um, this is Tuesday, so it's our second episode of the week. We're here Monday through Friday, so three more episodes remaining in this week. And we are now, you know, really in the last month of the NBA season. Things are starting to wind down, so we'll be definitely be continuing to keep an eye on seeding. Um, we might even take some time in 
upcoming episodes to look at different playoff races around the league, not just the ones that pertain to the Clippers. Um, but definitely every episode keeping you updated on Spurs, Warriors, Jazz, Clippers, as those are the four teams that really pertain to LAC's playoff outlook. Um, that's that. If you have any comments or questions, you can tweet at me at Lucas J. Han. You can send me emails at lhan.clipsnation at gmail.com. Check out Clips Nation on Twitter at ClipsNationSBN. Read the blog, ClipsNation.com. Follow us on Facebook. Just type Clips Nation in the Facebook search bar. Um, and if you like the show, be sure to subscribe on iTunes and please leave a good review. Thanks for listening, guys. This is Lucas Hand signing off for Lockdown Clippers. Rush into Old Navy today for up to 50% off store-wide. Get dresses from $15 for women, $12 for girls, plus up to 75% off clearance for the whole family right now at Old Navy and OldNavy.com. Valid 1016 to 1020, select styles only.